Welcome. This is our uh, monthly Cloudsters meeting where uh, we have a podcast every meeting. And this meeting, we're doing something slightly different. We're talking about an article on cloud computing magazine that is quick for free this month. And the title of the uh, article is The Nuances of Cloud Economics. And it's actually part of a column called Cloud Economics Column. It's by Joe Weinman. And he is um, involved, he's actually the head, the chair of the IEEE Intercloud Testbed. And he's an analyst for GigaOM Research. Um, anyway, this article, I'm always, I've always been fascinated by cloud computing economics. And uh, I, I want to start by saying, by the first thought I had is the article says that cost reduction in and business agility are the two most important benefits of cloud computing. But he goes on to talk about other bit benefits. And I wondered, in your experience, what do you find the benefits of cloud computing are? Um, I'll start by saying that uh, when years and years ago, when I w worked for a startup, we struggled with um, setting up and installing so the software on servers. So, um, we, we had our own dedicated servers, so it would have been a lot easier to do that in the cloud for us. So one of the things that was very useful was we could get servers with extra software installed. So, for instance, um, when in, cloud was becoming popular in the middle of this time, and I was able to get servers that had uh, – that had um, – already had SQL installed in them and already had web devs, Windows servers with web dev, and I could have um, Linux servers with SQL already installed on them. So that was a huge advantage because we did not have a lot, we did not have strong IT expertise. We were a business in another area. And so to have that perfectly installed consistently on all our servers was actually huge. So in, in a way, you know, definitely it, we had the business elasticity that Joe talks about and the cost reduction, but we also had this expertise of getting um, maybe platform as a service installed for us, and we didn't have to worry about it, because that would take us days to do, and then a lot of times we wouldn't get it right. So that I wanted to, I wanted to add that, but in your experience, what have you found the benefits of cloud computing? Has it been just cost reduction? and business agility. And I'll turn it over to anyone who wants to speak. Hi, this is Seku. Hi, Seku. Um, one of the things that I would speak to is the ability to configure the right environment for the right task. Yeah. And not having a lot of overhead associated with that particular configuration. Right, you don't need a lot of knowledge. You can get someone else. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. But there's a lot of other factors too, like elasticity. Like all of a sudden, during you know, whatever. Like my one of my friends has um, a, a yoga studio, and she was on a, a big television show on um in this was years ago now she's on 
Windows Azure, so it won't happen to her. But she was on a television show, and her website crashed terribly because people were visiting her website, and it was dedicated servers, and it couldn't handle it. But, um, yeah, that, that's, it. that's I guess that's more elasticity. But um, can you give an example? Um, in my own cases, I could think about um, trying to, I'm a teacher, and if I have a particular class that's using a particular set of resources, I can spin up the resources that I need for that class that semester or for that particular project and then spin it down if I don't need them anymore. Right. And it can be very particular setup too. That's what's great, like you said. Um, anybody else? Well, there's another one I can speak to as well, which I'm testing out right now. So given cloud resources, cloud infrastructures can let you put assets in data centers wherever they are. If the cloud provider gives you that knob, then you can determine where you want your data center, which data center you'd like. So if you'd like a data center in the East Coast, the West Coast, um, Amazon can give you data centers all across the globe. Um, so if the resource that you would like is going to target a specific location, geographic location, you can put you can pick the right data center for that application. Right. And even in your case with the well, um, yeah, one interesting thing, when you were talking about your class, um, I'm taking um, I've taken a bunch of MOOCs, massive online classes, and um, there's like 15,000 students in the class, if you can imagine. And they do a similar thing. They, they build up a set of resources. And um, most of the programming assignments are auto-graded. Um, but in the case of a MOOC, they're all over the world. I get you'd have to have – I guess they could look and see where are most of the students located. But – they're, they're really, they gave us a breakdown, those that they're all over the world. But I, there's a lot of um, applications that are localized that could do this. I didn't realize you could, you could actually specify that when I've used Amazon. Um, any other important benefits of cloud computing? So this is Tom Coughlin. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So, so, uh, so the things you've talked out about, uh, you've talked about so far are our uh, benefits primarily of what's called public uh, cloud computing, i.e. that is uh, available uh, for, as a service. But there also is private cloud computing, which is where uh, somebody may buy it, buy their own hardware and set up uh, uh, in a data center their controlled uh, equipment for doing this. And uh, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, acting over a longer period of time rather than just short-term um, short-term activities, owning the equipment yourself may be more economical. And so there's a there's trends both for the private and the public cloud. Um, it depends on whether you're whether uh, the the focus is on op only on operating costs or also on uh, on net capital costs and the actual expense. Um, it can be cheaper to own your own equipment, and that drives uh, demand for creating uh, private cloud storage. Both public and private cloud 
uh, have the advantage that they can be uh, accessible over the internet. Um, but the private cloud gives gives people who are sensitive to that more con direct control over the equipment and the assets within the equipment. Um, if and uh, the public cloud, you're basically it's uh, you're buying things at some premium from what you can own it, and also you don't have the direct control. Uh, this is Bing Wei. Uh, about uh, private cloud, uh, Tom just mentioned. I think I have a very good example in my department. In my uh, university, actually, we have uh, uh, many terminals. Like it's not like a terminal like 30 years ago, but like it, they, they call it thin client. Uh, it's actually a very uh, it's a small box that and connected with uh, internet with uh, Ethernet and connected to connect to a monitor. Then. Uh, the, the, there's a cluster in the, in the data center that can actually is serving like Windows desktop uh, uh, images. So so every like all they can very easily deploy the the, the same client in anywhere in the, in the building and without carrying on a heavy uh, desktop. They only need a monitor. So that is also another good step when you are trying to deploy your IT facilities. You can actually uh, do it like this, like this. And but the backend is actually sometimes usually is a Zen server or Zen desktop or maybe VMware or maybe uh, Windows. I mean it doesn't matter. But uh, it's a it's a new uh, kind of technology that uh, before cloud computing even. In use in uh, in I I think I can we can think about it as a private cloud too because they are also providing on demand uh, access like this kind of thing. Another thing is uh, my own work in in, in uh, Hadoop. Uh, I haven't tried it, but I know Amazon is providing a very easy setup Hadoop cluster. You can actually request a cluster of 100 nodes like in a couple of minutes. So that is very convenient too for like uh, people doing big data uh, analysis. Like they can, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, that was a, actually another example. Um, I took a class in cloud. The one, remember that class I was telling you about? And we had to do a final project and I did it with Hadoop and I downloaded the source code and I was overwhelmed with everything you had to do to build it and install it and so forth. And then I saw that Amazon had this setup and that's what I ended up using and it was really easy to use. I don't know what the security was in it, like if you had data that needed to be secure. I, I wasn't worried about that at the time, mm -hmm. but yes, it was really convenient to have that all installed and set up. Yeah, that, that is like a Automatically, they allocate you. I, I think they have a, a good security. Uh, con, uh, con, like they set up. Usually, your cluster will not inter. Uh, like a, it's like a private cluster, some kind. Of, but I don't know how they how exactly they, they do. But uh, I think they consider security should be security should be the first thing they consider when they are doing this uh, <laughs> this service in Amazon. Right, yeah. right. 
Uh-huh. So the other thing um, is the article discusses also migration costs to the cloud. And um, it, I had a particular experience with this. Like you, when you go to the cloud and you're, you're looking at costs, you've got to think about mo- migration costs. So, for instance, Bing Wei, in your case, when your university went to um, thin clients only, and not dedicated PCs, for example, um, that had to have been a cost to do that. And I know in, we, we still, at my company, we still have desktop, desktop or laptop PCs, but we connect to um, servers all over the place, including cloud systems. And um, when we move some of our services out to cloud providers, including our own private clouds, we did have a disruption in service. So I don't know what those costs are, but I can imagine that there were issues, you know, moving to a virtual server for whatever reason, be it the configuration was different or what what have you. Does um, anyone else have experience with costs of um, migrating to the cloud? Hi. Hello. Hi, this is Mehdi. Hi, Mehdi. Uh, so I want to tell you uh, about uh, like uh, what's uh, like uh, exactly the cost. What does one of the like uh, advantage of the cloud is uh, like a uh, cost effective? Because when you want to use the system, is a kind of uh, you pay based on what you use. Right. And so this is one part of advantage of the cloud. And also, for example, when you once request and increase your resources, for example, you want to add new virtual machine. So you will be pay for just one virtual machine, not the whole the cloud. And you don't need to pay for the investment for when you want to start up have a startup business so you can try use just use your credit card and start get like a one part of the resources as you once used for example you can use just ten dollars and you can increase like for example in one day your business grew up you got a lot of users so you can add more and pay more for the resources you don't need to pay for everything Right, exactly. The article discusses this as it, they call it, I think he calls it business agility. It allows your computing resources to respond quickly to your business needs. And it is, it's, I think it's why cloud has grown the way it has, how much it has grown. And regarding to the like security and privacy in the cloud, so, so far, most like a cloud vendor try to introduce several security methods so you can encrypt your data and you can use this encryption but still we have some problem about the privacy because when you submit your data to the cloud so it's a kind of you share your data minimum with the cloud vendor and for example, currently in our lab, we are working on the like uh, provide some encryption methods 
that can be run on the mobile cell phone or mobile devices. So it's a kind of looking for you encrypt your data as a user on your cell phone and then submit to the cloud because you think about that it could be the the privacy can be violated by the cloud vendor, by agencies, by malicious applications. So we're looking this kind of like a problem currently we have in the cloud computing. Interesting. Yeah, you should write a blog post about what your work you're doing in your lab. Yeah, we already published a paper and then also like uh, we can address this kind of like information both the like uh, uh, what's the problem we have in the cloud computing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds interesting. Um, we're going to do one more question. Uh, the last question I had was given that the cloud represents a set of resources to meet a set of demands correctly and then correctly matching those set of demands, say for instance, if distance and price are a factor. Um, Joe Wyman in the article says that's too complex to solve. He says that's NP complete, that that problem is NP complete. And I, I gave in my email um, a link to that. And my question to you guys is what experience have you had, if you've had any, where your cloud did not meet your demand. Um, and the example I have is, I put a link in the notes that I sent out, is um, Netflix in 2012, if you, you, might, you guys might remember this, they went down. <laughs> and Netflix uses AWS um, cloud services um, exclusively. And so they went down because AWS had an outage. And um, it didn't take the entire world down, but it took um, a lot of people down. And I, I don't know why that failure, there should, I, I didn't get a chance to look and see. Does anyone know? I think that is just a power outage. The whole entire data center has a- Right, oh, it was a power outage, yes. okay. I'm looking right now. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal. Lessons learned. <laughs> Let's look at this one. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a, from a power outage, yeah. Um, it started around 8 p.m. Pacific time. It lasted for three hours. It, it affected only the Netflix members in the Americas. Oh, this is from Netflix. This is, this is a statement from um, Netflix, and um, they do a root, I'll put this link in the notes, but they have a root cause analysis of their outages, and the short version, they say, is that one of Amazon's availability zones failed on Friday due to a power outage that was caused by a severe storm. Power outage was restored 20 minutes later, however, the elastic load balancing server suffered from capacity problems and an API backlog which slowed recovery. Our own root cause analysis uncovered some interesting findings, including an edge case in our internal mid-tier load balancing service. This caused unhealthy instances to fail um, to deregister from the load balancer, which black holed a large amount of traffic. 
doesn't sound good, in the unavailable zone. In addition, the network calls to instances in the unavailable zone were hanging rather than returning no route to the host. So anyway, they go on to say how they're going to fix it, and I don't know of any um, outages since then. But have you guys, anybody else have an experience with failure? Well, this is Tom. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. So um, this actually uh, also relates to that previous question. It's uh, failure is one thing. The other thing is a provider going out of business. And Nirvonics provided a, a rather extreme case of that a couple of years ago when they went out of business. And the big issue there was uh, was getting your data out of their, uh, you know, they were looking at, at archiving content, was getting the data out of that archive, migrated somewhere else within the two-week time period they gave. So... Um, those are other considerations to keep in mind is the financial stability. And also, and the other thing on that, too, is that um, many of these providers actually uh, sort of subsidize the up, up the ingest of information, but you can pay heavily if you have extensive downloading of information or need to recover data. So it's something to keep in mind in terms of, of what all you put up or, or is your only copy going to be in the cloud of uh, various content or not. Was that uh, was the name of that company Neuronics? No, it was Nirvonics. Nirvonics, okay. And so, did people? Um, if you just joined the call, could you make sure you mute your microphone? Thanks. Um, did people get their data back in that case? Some of them did. Some didn't. Uh, well, they only had two weeks to do it, so it depended on how much you had and, how, and whether you're able to get a new new provider and get your data migrated. Oh, and sometimes the fastest way of migrating data in that case is to ship out, uh, you know, digital tapes. <laughs> a FedEx a FedEx truck can carry a lot more, uh, you know, gigabytes per second than uh, than uh, a lot of Ethernet connections. Yeah, yeah. If you have a lot, because um, they probably already have the tapes already for backup. Hopefully. But, well, you um, probably have to pay to you probably have to pay to generate the tapes to get them get them shipped to you, I believe. But I'm not certain about that. Yeah, wow, that that's a very good point, though, Tom. Like you're right, you're putting. Someone said it earlier. They said you're in the minimal. You're giving all your data to the cloud provider minimally. It might be worse than that. Um, I went to. Um, I think I might have said this before, but I went to um, Rockstars of Mobile Computing, and they always they talked about security a lot, and they basically said, it's not if you're going to get a breach of data, it's when, and how that's going to happen, and you have to try to stay ahead of that. But it, it's when, not if. But yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Any other points before before we turn off the podcast? Uh, this this is me. Okay, somebody want to uh, talk? Is okay. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, for this uh, copy of data, and uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you have uh, a couple, uh, like uh, like a hundred T, maybe data, you is the best way is just ship out the hard drive. But uh, in terms of the, the copy of uh, the privacy of your data in the cloud, it is actually a. And uh, some researchers they are working on authentic like uh, integrity of your data in the cloud. Like uh, the, you can have a third-party auditor to keep uh, challenging the cloud for your data to make sure the cloud is actually uh, storing your data. Your data is uh, 
every bit of your data is actually in the data you upload it uh, to the cloud. So this is, uh, I, I, but I don't think there is any cloud pro storage provider is implementing this kind of uh, mechanism. But but it's it's, it's kind of a another uh, research area that uh, how to make sure your the privacy of your data. There's actually a very fast way to to check uh, to to make sure the cloud is actually storing your data. And about a copy losing data, I think the only way is you have to use uh, multiple uh, provider to uh, to. It's like a, uh, in a server, you need to use RAID to to make uh, copies of your data available. When one one drive down, you you don't, your data is uh, still there. So it's similar that is you have to use multiple uh, cloud provider for your very important data. If That's you, interesting, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, if you do that, it makes it more expensive. Yes, right? yes. Uh, but in terms of the storage cost right now in the cloud, I think it's doable if you just use two or three. But uh, there still, the, the problem will be how to uh, make sure the data sync, always sync between this uh, cloud provider. It's, it, it might be another a problem of uh, in the cloud, like how to make sure this cloud uh, can communicate with another cloud and make sure they think with each other. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, this is Seku. Um, we have a current example right now with Google and Amazon, and I think this actually speaks to Tom's point um, about lock-in. Um, there are third-party entities that can make this process, make the transition doable. And I think a really cool case is GitHub. If I'm not mistaken, GitHub is using Amazon. And code.google.com is going away, I think, this summer or sometime this year. And they have a process. Basically, you click a button, and you can transfer your projects from code.google over to GitHub. So that's really data that's being housed at Google that is being transferred to Amazon through this agreement that, um, that both uh, Code.Google and Amazon, or Code.Google and GitHub probably made a little while ago. That is interesting. Uh, I had a question for you guys. I know we keep going on and on, but this is an interesting topic. I can't find it in the paper right now. In the paper, he mentions that Oh, here it is. It's on the last page of the paper, page 91 of the paper. It's in the Game Theory and System Dynamics. Um, so he, I didn't understand this dynamics. I wonder if you guys did. He says, the system dynamics of a market suggest that light users will prefer to pay on a per-use basis, where heavy users prefer flat rate. That makes sense, right? But, he says then, as more heavy users migrate to flat rate plans, the average consumption level increases, driving flat rate prices higher. So I guess that does make sense because the flat rate places need more storage, right? More users will then de defect to the pay-per-use plan, creating this virtuous cycle when the pay-per-use plan dominates the flat rate one and then it goes back. Um, BitCasa 
a cloud storage company originally offered a flat rate for $99 a year, but they were forced to raise prices to $9.99 per year and ultimately discontinued the plan. Um, that was the first I had heard of that. I work with a lot of places that do flat rate. Um, Google allows you to store an enormous amounts of data free, and then when you're beyond the free, they only charge you $1.99 a month for like an increase by tenfold or hundredfold. I can't even remember what it is. But do you guys have any particular cases of that kind of dynamic? Like if, if you have a cloud system where there's a ton, like Cyber Monday and there's a huge load, do cloud system, does the cost per use of a cloud service go up Cyber Monday? Does anyone know? Yeah, this is Mehdi. Hi. Uh, so, is it like when we talk about like a pay-per-use services, so people think about that if you want pay-per-flat, so it will be expensive. And it's not possible to pay that way. So that's the reason we're looking currently for pay-per-users. It's a, actually similar if we check the history of the like cell phones. So when we first time had like a cell phones, we pay per, per users. Like we think about that, how many minutes we today we talk and like we need to pay these minutes. So then it's changed to flat rate. Why? Because the cost is a decrease and the vendor can provide service based on the flat rate. So everyone can choose this kind of rate. Now, currently, for example, some vendors transfer their rate from the pair pay users to the flat rate. For example, currently, if you are using Amazon uh, Prime service, so they, they give you the unlimited data access uh, storage for the photo. So why? Because they estimate now if I want to provide service for users, how many users I will be have and how much they need the data access and how much we need like uh, use this storage services. So it's a kind of based on because the cloud is not as still is not mature. So currently we always looking for pair pair users because it's a cheaper and is a faster. We can use the service, but I believe that in the future, all services will be changed to the flat rate. Interesting. Yeah. Um, because there probably will be enough resources around for us to be off on flat rate. <laughs> or maybe a tiered rate like Google does. Google's is somewhat flat, but it's tiered. Uh, let's see. Someone had something online. I just want to, yeah. Right, it is hard. It's the, the real challenge is what to charge the user. Um, yeah, and the tiered pricing is one I've seen more. I've seen more tiered pricing. So uh, I'm going to end the podcast. This was really interesting, though. Um, and I'll, so I'm going to stop the recording now.